Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which I invite a guest on to discuss three movies from one of their favourite directors. I'm your host Andy and I'm delighted to be joined by Freudian Cinephile, co-host of the Projections podcast and regular contributor to the Evolution of Horror pod with her section Wild About Horror, Mary Wild. Mary, how are you doing? Hi Andy. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Excuse me, thanks very much for coming on. Um, so just as a little kind of introduction for anyone that doesn't know, obviously I'm a regular Evolution of Horror <laughs> listener, so I know about your parts through that. Um, if you just give a, a kind of brief explanation about what you do. Yeah, sure. So with Mike on his podcast, I produce a segment called Wild About Horror, mm-hmm. which is a sort of like, almost like a deep dive into the psychological dimension of some of the films that he discusses in his series. And this actually grew out of my work that I do at the Freud Museum in London, where Mm -hmm. I deliver a lecture series called Projections. And this has actually been going on now for 10 years, actually. And this month, August, I'm uh, marking 10 years of my Projections lecture series at the Freud Museum. And it's basically a psychoanalytic approach to film studies. Mm-hmm. And my own podcast that I co-host with Sarah Cleaver, Projections Podcast, is also kind of grown out of that work as well. So that's psychoanalysis and film dialogue. Excellent. So me myself, I'm a bit of a kind of layman in terms of Freudian and psychology and psychoan- psychoanalysis, easier for me to see. Um, <laughs> is that looking at things like, like reactions people have to movies and the way they're perceived? What's a kind of a good mm. way of... Um, no, I would say it's more that um, in psychology, there's really two schools of thought. Mm-hmm. There's either like people who are just kind of like evaluating you based on the objective thoughts and behaviors that they can observe in you, um, like surface level stuff. Yeah. And it's very empirical and scientific. And then there's where I sit, which is more like the psychoanalytic, it's more theoretical side where we're dealing with the unconscious. So the assumption is that the behaviors that we see on the surface is just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, much of our behaviors are guided by something unseen, which is the unconscious. Mm-hmm. And this can only ever be derived at through free association, dream analysis, analysis of parapraxies, also known as slips of the tongue. And in my own research and experience, I found that uh, movie making is also a great indicator of what might be going on beneath the visible layer. Mm-hmm. beneath the surface, that we can actually approximate the, the unconscious of a film director by studying their movies and find out what they're really preoccupied by. So it's more to do with like an in-depth analysis of content, whether that's an entire filmography of a director or just one specific title, mm-hmm. and almost using that film as like a projective test, hence why I call my lecture series Projections. Yeah. Because it's like almost treating the film material as like a Rorschach ink blot that is devoid of 
a priori meaning and we're like projecting our own subjective associations onto it that are meaningful. Okay. I think I understand that a bit there. <laughs> um, so in terms of using it for, as you say, for um, the catalogue or, or a piece of filmmaking from a certain director, that's quite interesting considering who we are going to talk about tonight, <laughs> um, which I'll come on to in just a, a couple of minutes. Um, mm-hmm. So a couple of things I've asked, uh, I usually ask uh, guests is, do you have a memory, like kind of your earliest cinema memory? Um, it might not, it could be just not necessarily in the cinema, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. It could just be watching a movie at home, something like that. Yeah, definitely. My vivid memory from childhood is going to the video store. Mm-hmm. So I'm old enough that, In my time when I was a kid, video stores were a very common thing and they were places that, you know, were communities for cinephiles, actually. And um, I don't know how I snuck into the video store, oftentimes alone. I don't know what my parents were doing, (laughs) but I was quite young and I just felt an instant pull to the video store, especially the horror section. I, I always found myself there. And I have very strong memories of admiring the cover art of the VHS cassettes Mm. and kind of like being weirdly fascinated with what they were depicting. And I always kind of instinctually knew that even if it was a frightening image, it was just make-believe, like it was just pretend. Mm -hmm. So I knew it wasn't going to hurt me. So in a way, that gave me a license to like, imagine and become like kind of transported by even the most gory images, Mm -hmm. but never feel harmed or traumatized because I always knew it was fake. So I, I kind of was lucky in that way because it kind of like gave me a license to do a lot of exploring. Um, And I have specifically a memory of looking at the image for the movie pieces. Okay which came out in the early 80s, I believe. Mm-hmm. But this, when I went to the video store, it must have been like late 80s. Mm-hmm. And that's when I saw it. And um, I wasn't allowed to rent it because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was way too young. But mm-hmm. I just liked the, the the picture and the kind of philosophical implication of, of what was shown because it was a woman um, that had actually been created from the body parts of various other women that had right. just been stitched together, like sewn together. Mm-hmm. And I found that like intriguing, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought, yeah, it was always kind of the video store was always like my jam. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was the same. Like um, next to me, we had a Tesco's, a Boots and a video store. And that was it. It was my kind of local town centre. Um, and despite being a quite a massive horror fan now, I used to absolutely shit myself just at the looking mm. at what the cover what specifically the it miniseries with Tim Curry in the front of it. Yeah. And Chucky. Anything with Chucky on it, I hated with a passion. <laughs> and I'd never seen them. Um but it used to always just the, the kind of image. I think a lot of the images of Chucky on VHS was like glowing red eyes, which is never a, <laughs> for me it was just a no no. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I have a lot of vivid memories of Chucky as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I've only ever seen two movies of him, and two, and that has been in the past couple of years. So mm-hmm. it was just a kind of irrational fear of something that I wasn't even really aware of. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <clears throat> um, is there a moment in movies that you can always go back to? Maybe it's a favorite movie or a favorite scene from a movie that you can just always. 
Um, you know, like if you can be flicking through, or when you used to kind of flick through channels when it was on the TV and you could just, um, like a, a favourite movie of yours would come on, mm-hmm. you would just go, oh, fuck it, I'll just, it's on, I can just sit from here and watch it and there's no kind of problem with that. Or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like a standout scene from a movie that kind of is something that always has drawn you back. Yeah, definitely. I guess for me it would be, because my favourite all-time movie ever is Black Swan. Mm-hmm. And so I would have to say the scene in Black Swan where she transforms into a swan on stage. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, mm. because it's 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 so like it's such a weird, uncanny moment, mm. um, and it's very surrealistic. Yeah. And there's some, it depicts some kind of mental disturbance. So even though it seems so like kind of euphoric almost, um, it also signals that there's a big fracture in her psyche. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very ambivalent scene, but mm-hmm. I I actually think it's really glorious. And um, I think Aronofsky is a genius. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask that actually. Like, I love mm. Black Swan. Um, mm. And I was I'm quite a big fan of wrestler but not as much as black swan like i really again that's mm-hmm. come back to the kind of horror elements of it i think you know appealed to me a bit more but i can kind of take a leave aronofsky's mm-hmm. like his other stuff is um requiem for a dream i really that was a, <laughs> i saw that far too young as well which kind of horrified yeah. me as well it was quite a disturbing movie to see that they yeah. just seen it at and then his kind of um like i wasn't a huge fan of mother at all but mm-hmm. i suppose Again, if you're coming from it as the as you're saying from the analysis point of view as well, it must be an incredible, interesting filmmaker yeah. to uh, delve into. Yeah, for sure. Especially in psychoanalysis, there's always so much emphasis on the mother mm-hmm. and Oedip- you know the Oedipus complex and maternal fixation. So, right, you know, right at the kind of at the gate, a movie called Mother immediately yeah. is going to pique my interest. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and there's also a new Aronofsky movie coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's, what's that one called? It's called the whale. Yeah, I've seen, I've heard bits about it. Yeah, actually, when you said you said that name there. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's going to premiere at the Venice Film Festival. Excellent. He's certainly again, as I've said, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, but he's mm. at least interesting, and he's trying yeah. to kind of um, make you think and make you react to the movies that he's making. Um, yeah, sure. Which is a nice segue <laughs> to okay. The well, um, the director who you've chose for tonight's episode, and it is Tom Six. Yeah, Tom Six, mm-hmm. um, the ed- the edge lord of of of, of cinema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, before before we go into, we're going to go basically, we're going to discuss the Human Centipede trilogy. Um, what is your relationship with him? I, these are the first of his that I've seen, and I know I'm aware of kind of. The Anania Club, that's the unreleased mm. movie of his mm. that he's been campaigning for a while. Yeah. Has it always been a kind of, um, have you always had an attraction to the Human Centipede mm. movies or his movies, if there's, there's others that you have seen? Yeah. So I watched The Human Centipede, the first sequence, um, about like 10 years ago. Okay. And um, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it was just going to be a kind of like bog standard sort of B movie. I didn't. I didn't know the discourse around it. So I just like happened to watch it, but I wasn't. So it may be because I didn't know its, its reputation. Um, it, it really like, uh, I think it, I felt really blindsided actually by how, how frightening I found it. 
um, yeah, like I feel like it was, it sort of immediately shocked me, like the concept of what was going on. Um, you know, this idea of conjoining people, multi-anus, um, introduced as medical research. Um, and the movie itself, there's not like the first sequence doesn't have that much gore in it. And, and yet, there's a lot of things that are suggested that I found deeply concerning and troubling. So when my first watch of it, I, I went away like actually quite impacted by it. Like I watch a lot of horror movies and it's pretty rare now. I'm pretty like desensitized. So it's pretty rare that I watch a movie that actually scares me. U- usually I watch something and be like, oh, okay, I can like kind of intellectualize it, but I don't actually feel any degree of fear of, towards it. But a- after Human Centipede, I was, I had a lot of anxiety. Like I felt really scared. I didn't like that what was being suggested in it. I felt like physically like troubled by it as well. Like there was, I had all kinds of reactions and I, that's when I knew this director is a genius. Yes. Um, I was wondering if I could get driving directions to a nightclub called Hello, sweetie. No, we're in Germany right now. Maybe we can talk to you later. All right, we miss you. Bye, Amy. Bye, sweetie. I think we're supposed to turn. I thought you knew exactly where we were going. What was that? We're on a road trip through it's like Europe. A, yeah. Can you call uh, the emergency car service for us? You have a really lovely home. Ah! The Siamese <laughs> shipment connected via the gastric system. <laughs> the human centipede. We start with cutting the ligaments of the kneecaps. Like, and and then I learned since then that th- this movie has become really a cultural touchstone, and it's very divisive. And it's it's one of those movies that you know, like when you're a kid in the playground and everyone's whispering about a movie that's yeah. taboo. Uh-huh. 
this is that movie now. Like I feel it's one of the few movies that has that impact. And to me, that is a huge achievement in the horror world because that is what you should be aiming to create. I think as a horror director, that level of discomfort and morbid fascination, um, even if it's a bit schlocky and it's a bit gimmicky and maybe the acting is a bit wooden, In a way, all of that doesn't even matter. Even if you're on a micro budget, what matters the most is the concept of what you've created, like the thought experiment. And that's why I chose Tom Six, because I think he's one of the few people out there who gets under the film industry's skin. And the Onania Club being case in point, I'm sure we'll touch on that. But um, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, that's a very long answer. <laughs> that's perfect, yeah. You've kind of summed it up perfectly because um, mm. um, we'll go straight into part one then. Yeah, you've mentioned the the film's reputation. Yeah. Um, and for me, these were all first-time watches. For me, I'd never seen any of the three of them. Uh-huh. Um, but my wife, who is not a horror fan in the slightest, um, mm. I used to work offshore and she had, again, it, it kind of, kind of permeated the culture to the point where she's like oh i'll i'll watch it fuck it i'll see what it's all about um and (laughs) when i'd heard that i was really surprised because she really doesn't go for her horror at all and this is like the kind of with its reputation certainly is the one that you think it would be more for the hardcore horror fan to go Uh to go for um i definitely think its reputation precedes it and it's Possibly not as not as bad as maybe not the correct word, but not as um, visceral and nasty as 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 the kind of word of mouth has made it to sound. Do you do you agree yeah, with that at all? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I think I think the first sequence is really just presenting an academic idea, mm-hmm. like because you know the, Dr. Hyder, uh, played by Dieter Lazar, brilliantly. I think. Yeah. Um, he is. A researcher. He's a medical researcher, mm-hmm. and he has obviously extremely dubious views. Yeah. <laughs> and he's sort of coded as being also like a fascist or an authoritarian. And so um, he's working within this kind of sphere of pure theory and almost like blue sky thinking. What is possible? What mm-hmm. can be done to the body? And he has this like absurd idea. So I think rightly the first sequence kind of like upholds and maintains a very clinical atmosphere and tone that reflects the kind of like, um, I suppose the aesthetic of academia, because he's still, he's, he's a very polished guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's a very different kind of character to like the Lawrence R. Harvey person in the second uh, sequence, <laughs> Martin. Yeah. Um, they're diametrically opposed. Dr. Heider is an academic, a thinker, like an, a kind of visionary. I mean, however much he's like depraved, that's still where he's really operating at the level yeah. of like thought experiments. And so like it should follow then that the film feels also quite clinical. We don't really see that much. A lot of it is just implied. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the natural, um, I get, I suppose like <laughs> sequence, um, <laughs> Um, the natural sequence would be Martin because he's taking the theory and applying it in real life, mm-hmm. um, which, I, you know, I think in that scenario, the kind of practical brass tacks application of the theory 
it will look messy. It's it's people like, you know, copycatting a a thought experiment in a dingy, dank room, you know? Um, And also I think Tom Six is like really taking the piss actually, because he's trying to, (laughs) he's trying to like really expose the foolish belief that, um, this type of depraved violence is learned from watching movies, whereas countless studies have shown that that's simply not the case. You know, movies and video games, however violent or extreme they are, they don't have the power to like suggest people yeah. to, to do bad things. If someone wants to commit a crime, it's not going to be a movie that will convince them. They already have the impulse to do that. So mm-hmm. it's very funny to me, ideologically, that Tom Six is like kind of trying to provoke the culture by suggesting that um, Martin wants to do these things because he watched the first sequence. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's um, again, coming back to, we kind of briefly mentioned Chucky earlier on. We had it in the 90s. Yeah. I think it was Child's Play 3. Um, we get it every time there's a new Grand Theft Auto game comes out. We've had it with Saw and Hostel movies and it is people. It's mm. from a kind of certain, certainly from a certain possibly political leaning that go more towards that um, of blaming yeah. We had it with um, Marlon Manson, uh, with Columbine as well. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a way of looking to appropriate blame when there either isn't any there, I think, or in terms of things like Columbine and the kind of recent shootings, where the blame should be laid, the people who are protesting against it don't want the blame to go there in terms of gun violence and things like that. Yeah, you, exactly. You know what I mean, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, certainly, part two. Uh, um, it's almost like Tom Six is not holding up a mirror, but holding up a um, a hypothetical scenario that these people would get annoyed by, as you're saying. The, the provocation, the, the poking them with a stick almost. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that, um, I think what's really important is that, um, in a way, the intellectual remoteness of the torture that's carried out in the first sequence, mm-hmm. it's sort of allowed to exist in this place of um, freedom from a crisis of conscience because everything is just so clinical, yeah. you know? The barbarism remains in the, in the sphere of the unspeakable because the abject physical reality of surgically attaching bodies is never fully revealed. It's just implied. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. It's, total, it's just embedded in a, a sterilized environment. Whereas mm. in Centipede 2, um, you know, this is a man coming from a place of very um, severe trauma. Mm-hmm. Argu- arguably, Dr. Hyder is traumatized too. We just never see it. He's too controlled yeah. to ever slip and like, you know, allow the mask to like reveal what's really happening behind those cold eyes. Mm-hmm. Whereas Martin, th- he wears his trauma very openly, you yeah. know? Um it's really like disturbing the life he has um, and <laughs> sort of implied about his past and terrible childhood abuse and like terrible dysfunctional family relations. Um, he lives in kind of squalor. Mm. Um, he barely even like really speaks. His dialogue is like mostly just grunts and moans. Yeah. Occasional shout and things like that. Isn't right. It? Yeah. Exactly, like more like animalistic, you know? Mm. So he's a very different type of character to Dr. Hyder. He's more operating like viscerally rather than like cerebrally. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, he becomes obsessed, obviously, with the first sequence of the film and decides to make his own centipede consisting of 12 people. I mean, imagine going from three to 12. That's so excessive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you were mentioning kind of the the fact that the first sequence is quite clinical, it was, I was going to ask you actually a wee bit more yeah. about that. Yeah. It's, there's almost a fantasy element to it with Dr. Heiter, with what he thinks. Certainly when I've seen him explaining the procedure, mm-hmm. The way he explained it is that it would be almost like the it would become one system instead of pushing through all sorts of different intestines through the anuses and then into a mouth. The way mm. he was almost portraying it would be the mouth and the anus. It's a strange, it's a strange sentence to say. Are kind of one yeah. and the same sort of thing. Yeah. And it is very, as you're saying, it's very clinical. You see elements of his character as well. I think he mm. gets... When he's trying to eat his steak, he's had like a bit of saliva or vomit on his hand or something. Yeah. And then he just can't, after that, he's like, oh, can't do that. That's kind of, it's almost like um, broken the sterility of his meal that he's going right. to have. And it's, yeah, it's completely at odds with, Martin. Uh, yeah, Martin, yeah, and part two. And um, the gross <laughs> out, <laughs> I just got to come on to kind of, gross out moments are a big thing in all three of these movies, but Perhaps a bit less so. Again, going we said before about reputation of part of uh, the first sequence. Um, there's a, a slight kind of moment with pus, and but again, it's then then there's a moment of the person at the front of the centipede yeah. who needs to shit, and yeah. But again, you don't see a lot. It's no. as you're saying, it's suggestive, it's hinted at, and it's more the the kind of foley art and the noise that is giving you that kind of <laughs> turning your stomach feeling. Yeah. Part two is was for me the most difficult watch, I think. Yeah. Um, for the sure. second sequence. Um this was the one that I'd think for me anyway, kind of in horror communities, I'd heard more about its reputation for its nastiness maybe if, if that's the correct word yeah um it's also feels like a dirty movie hey, i hope you're not time wasting you i've got a dozen people waiting to look at this place hey come on let's get this lease signed eh your mother is very worried about you. He keeps on talking about a centipede with 12 people. What does that mean? The centipede can be considered a phallic symbol. Centipedes are very aggressive creatures. Their bite can be very painful. What are you looking at? Maybe he's connecting the pain that a centipede inflicts with the psychological and sexual abuse inflicted on him by his father. There's nothing to worry about. I'm sure it's just a passing phase. Hmm? What is this? A hundred percent medically accurate. One digestive system. Is this a perverted film you've been talking about? This isn't right, Martin. 
you're doing. It's wrong. I'm doing it. It's a film. You've been sending me to film. <laughs> Like, as in yeah. dirt under your fingernails style that you can't get out. <laughs> I'm still trying to get it out. I haven't watched it. Um, yeah. How do you feel that that... I suppose we have kind of touched on it already with mm. the kind of clinicalness of the first yeah. uh, sequence. Does it does mm. it make it less watchable for you than the first? Like, for me, it would. It did, definitely. Like, I don't think... I, I could certainly go back to part uh, to the first sequence. Yeah, I don't think I could ever go back to the second sequence yeah. personally. Um, <laughs> but does it does it take anything away or add more to it for yourself? I actually think that it completely enhances mm. what is suggested theoretically in the first, um, because the idea is that because my reading of the first one ideologically, like mm-hmm. let's say purely on a psychoanalytic level, okay, um, is that. This is this this experiment attaching people like this, like conjoining them through their digestive system, is really an attempt to um, create almost like a monolith in the population, mm-hmm. so that whatever you feed it, it passes through the same system. Okay, there is no divergent um, digestive environment. That where people are like freely eating what they want and like going to the bathroom on their own terms, you know, whatever. There's no autonomy in, in the digestive tract. Mm-hmm. It's all being controlled heavily. Yeah, okay. And I think that this is ultimately Tom Six's um, like warning, like a kind of uh, clarion call, call, call to action, really culturally. Because I think that he's extremely critical of modern culture. Okay. That he thinks that there's a lot of like, um, just sort of like um, hive mind behavior in the culture, mm-hmm. where there's like mob mentality. So people are not thinking autonomously. They are not. Um, they're not like critical in the way that they think, yeah. and so they're willingly stepping into the human centipede. Actually, they're willingly begging to be conjoined via their digestive tract so that they can just become this monolith of consuming culture. And what is the result is that the further down the sequence you go, i.e. the more embedded you are in the cultural human centipede, whatever nutrient reaches you is decay. Like Mm -hmm. you are now just literally eating shit. You know, you're not getting any nutrients that your body needs. Um, you are being dictated to by the person at the front of the centipede. You have no autonomy of your your own. Mm-hmm. So in reading it like that, which I actually, I mean, it's it seems like a very radical thing to to say. You know, it almost sounds like a bit conspiracy conspiratorial. No, I can totally I totally understand what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. think it, we can evaluate it on its on its face without reading into like reading into it any kind of crazed ideology. Tom Six is simply saying that people are having a hard time thinking for themselves. They're, they feel more comfortable almost joining a kind of like cult of um, believing that they share the views of their peers mm-hmm. because the alternative is to um, 
maybe have a target on your back if you're different. So it's more comfortable to just join in the group. And so if we take that for, you know, at at face value, uh, which also has actually, I think, been proven with what's going on with him with the Onania Club, he's having a difficult time getting it distributed Mm -hmm. because um, IFC, which supported him throughout the Centipede trilogy, has um, refused to to distribute the Onania Club Mm -hmm. on the basis that it is harmful to to women or something. Okay. Um, Because like it's an all-female cast and they're doing extremely like perverse things in the movie. But it is a horror film, you know, and and I think that in a way this is proving Tom's point that um, we are being forced into 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 the human centipede, you know, into this in, into this depraved daisy chain mm-hmm. where we have to just like acquiesce and and like accept the the literally like the tunnel of shit yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. and and so in a way I think then the second sequence what's what Martin is doing um he is sort of like he, he he's basically kidnapped all these people in a mm. very crude way yeah he is he's not in a lab you know this guy is not a doctor he's not using professional instruments no he definitely he's isn't. using like a stapler <laughs> yeah. a stapler a hammer a um, hammer oh. like it's really gross like when yeah. you really think about it there's so much I mean, almost like the shit is almost their last problem, you know, the least of Mm. their problems. They have probably like tetanus from getting stapled, you know? Mm. Um, He's using the most crude instruments, but what's revealing is that he's also aroused by what he created, you know? Like he, at one point, sexually assaults the woman at the end of the centipede, Mm -hmm. which to me says that, like this, this is even though like the imagery of the movie, as you rightly say, looks so dirty. It looks disgusting. The way that it's filmed, it's it's aesthetically repulsive. It looks yeah. like a snuff movie, actually. Mm-hmm, you know, it looks like it should be illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I think that is a perfect poetic reflection of the depravity of Martin getting turned on by a group of people having this basically the same opinion yeah falling in line um you know acting in unison the the the, the idea i think behind martin's arousal by groupthink and a hive mind mm-hmm. i think is more disturbing than actually what he's doing to these people okay. i think that, that i think that's really what tom six is trying to say do you think um, when obviously he, yeah, he sexually assaults the the woman at the end, and does he attach barbed wire to himself? Yeah, a bit of barbed wire. Was that self genital mutilation or was that <laughs> both? Like this yeah. is the second time I've discussed genital mutilation on this podcast, oh and God. I never thought it would happen. <laughs> First time was with Zoe Rose Smith, um, oh, and that queen. was yeah, that was the Antichrist. Um, it yeah. was yeah, it's been a high opening. Um, so, do you think that's him? Uh, accepting himself then as part of that or trying mm. to be the kind of the th- literally the thing that fucks it as in sure i think that he is um ultimately also in 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 the weird um pattern psychologically of feeling compelled to repeat his own childhood abuse right okay yeah. so he's in a very disturbed state where he is like um needing absolutely to like relive the abuse in a very depraved way Mm -hmm. um 
because if you also recall, he has a pet centipede. Yeah, yeah, that comes into play at the end. As well. And that com- it's disgusting what happens there. I mean, the mm. centipede literally becomes a, phall- a phallic object that mm. is like penetrating in a sexual way. Yeah, and to me, that is the 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 the, the, the self harm with the barbed wire. Um, I think you rightly asked that question. W- what is his motivation? Is he trying to join in on? the the pain of these people so that he harms himself in the process or is he really like the master of it that like you know brings it all together i think it is the first one i think mm-hmm. he i think that when you are carrying out an experiment like this that is outside of the um, let's say the the utopian weird uh, uncanny scenario of dr hyder which is so sterilized so clean nothing out of order mm-hmm. everything in its place yeah um he is the master of the situation. He wants to dominate. Mm. Martin is is replicating that experiment, but he is provoked by his own trauma to do it. Mm. So in, in that regard, he is not an objective administrator of the experiment. He, he is also a subject. Mm. Hence why he feels he needs to join the, you know, join the centipede in, in that horrific way. Yeah. There's also a lot more chaos in his kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, his apart from his personal life, but just in his the way he goes about kidnapping people, and it's, it's seems a lot more opportunistic than Doctor Heiter. Yes, it it's is. Like now, now I've got an opportunity. Oh, here's someone just coming up. I'll shoot them in the leg and bash them in the head, and they'll do. Yeah. No kind of. There's no premeditation. There's it's all slapdash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, as you say, chaotic is the word. It's mm-hmm. very impulsive. There's no like clear thinking, you know, of even who's going to go in order. Like it's just, it's it's just this weird mess mm-hmm. that he's like orchestrated. Yeah, and um, and and that's the thing. It feels like um more of a, I guess, almost like an orgy than than what yeah. Dr. Hyder is doing. Because Dr. Hyder still tries to maintain this persona of like professor. Mm-hmm. Because even as he's like torturing these poor people, he's like lecturing to them as yeah. if they want to know any of this, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's maintaining this facade of this persona of like, I will enlighten you with my, you know, great experiment. Like kind of prim what, and proper type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very sort of trying to be edifying, whereas there's none of this with Martin. Martin is a hot mess. <laughs> um, so <laughs> one thing I thought with it is it seemed mm. very almost dreamlike or hallucin- yeah. hallucinatory. And what added to that was there's just a kind of constant drone. There's not really a score in this movie at all, apart mm. from this just a a constant noise of almost like a humming of a machine or something like that behind the mm. whole the whole uh, runtime of the movie. Almost kind of, I think David Lynch uses it a lot in um, Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And it kind of subconsciously you pick up on it. And it, do you think there's an element of mm. a kind of dream state in it? Because obviously at the end, yeah. it then goes back to the start of the movie and he's watching the yeah. first movie again, I think. And it's very um, dubious as to how it kind of ends. Yeah, you're so right to suggest that it could all have just been a dream sequence, actually. You know, yeah. um, that he is so, um, he's so disturbed mentally. It, it's possible that he would might have be, just been delusional yeah. and concocted this 
made up scenario in his mind that he was capable of actually getting away with kidnapping 12 people. It's no small feat, you know? Um, He's not exactly using the most sophisticated methods as well. Like, plausibly, could he have got away with it? No, of course not. Um, So... He's he was very messy with it, so it is absolutely possible that this entire thing was really just this fantasy that he was indulging on, d- doing a job that kind of almost facilitates a little bit of daydreaming, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of like fantasizing. He can get away with it. Yeah. Um, you're you're so right about the the hints throughout the movie where the little like film techniques like sound design and everything that and and the graininess of the 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 print the black and white aesthetic mm-hmm. that lends itself to almost like we dissociate from reality it is like just an altered state yeah um it, I, and you really touched on it with the white noise whatever that industrial droning noise <laughs> is you know it it is very um it's like weirdly meditative in the worst way and in like a nightmarish way like you say lynchian mm-hmm. so yeah i i do um i i think that's a valid theory that it's yeah. just in his head cool um the other part of that kind of big part of this as we've <laughs> discussed is the meta context yeah. of uh, Martin's obsessed with Human Centipede first sequence, mm-hmm. and this leads into the say the more Gonzo-ish of the three <laughs> with <Yeah>. the um, <laughs> the final sequence. Warning: the following preview may be too disturbing for some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. In the annals of horror, <laughs> only one film series. <laughs> is almost too disgusting to describe. Now. What is this? The unthinkable has become all too real. Hey, cockroaches. Did you like these films? The final chapter. It looks medically accurate. To the most notorious movie franchise ever made. You insane freaks who get the death penalty. (laughs) The taste will never leave your mouth. Centipede 3, final sequence. This is exactly what America needs. (laughs) Um, Part 3, set in a prison that opens with the end of the second sequence. Um, Yeah. Which is, again, we've got uh, Dieter Leiser back playing Boss Bill. uh, Bill Boss, sorry, who's a Mm -hmm. boss. So I just get myself confused there. <laughs> um, what's your kind of thoughts about part mm. about the the final sequence? It definitely feels higher mm. budget. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still some kind of grotesque parts in it, um, but it, it feels more balls to the wall almost in terms of the acting, the yeah. the, the, the whole just the general feel of the movie. Yeah. So I think that actually the third sequence. Um, I should just say, like, it is actually my least favorite of, of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it is 
a, a kind of necessary endpoint to this trilogy yeah. because it touches on Tom Six's original idea for this concept. Because before he made the first sequence, he had this idea to make a short film about um, that the best punishment for a pedophile would be to attach his mouth to the anus of an overweight truck driver. All right, okay. Um, and that that would be the best punitive mm-hmm. technique and the best deterrent from people committing like um, assault against children. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's like the, or, the the very origins of the first movie is now is sort of referenced in the third. Yeah i.e. in a prison system um, and the human centipede actually utilized as like the worst type of punishment <laughs> that can yeah. be administered. I think that ideologically it connects to the origin. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, here it is a tonally completely different film from the other two. As you rightly said, it's glossier, more Hollywood style. Um, and the acting seems like almost as if, I think... I can only assume that by the time this movie came out, that Tom Six already was aware of being a meme machine. Yeah, definitely. Like he, <laughs> he, he'd already witnessed his impact on the internet and the fact that like he's the human centipede is a cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm. So I think that that this third movie comes in with that like bravado yeah. of. Um, of being of, of being a meme, um, and the, the pop the, the kind of general popularity of that because simply but because of the way that people are acting in this movie, mm. it, it I mean some of it is just unwatchable because the acting is so bad. It's just yeah. almost people just I don't know if they're making it up on the spot or what they're saying. It seems not coherent or cohesive to the story. Um, the delivery is feels so outlandish and OTT, almost camp in parts. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, I, I can understand the temptation to like just ride on the coattails of being like a popular meme. Mm-hmm. But I really think that this is where Tom Six as a creative genius is resting on his laurels a little bit, you know, mm. because he also appears in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it goes full on meta. Like, obviously, in yeah. uh, the second sequence, we had um, the Jenny Tale, the yeah. person who plays the Jenny Tale, turn up, um, yeah. which was another reason why I thought it was very dreamlike because apparently yeah. he just, Martin's kind of uh, ghosted her as a, a Hollywood agent that's yeah. hiring for a Tarantino movie and it's just been kind of believed. So we get that. And then, yeah, Tom Six shows up as Tom Six because he wants to see the actual procedure getting performed. Like, it's really, he yeah. just went, I'm just going to throw everything I've kind of wanted to at this because I know it's going to be the last one almost. Exactly. And I'm going to put myself in it. Fuck it. It not? feels like a going away party, you yeah. know, like a farewell, like a far, like a fa- going away do or whatever. Mm. Um, it feels like, as you say, like just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of thing because this is going to be your last <laughs> like attempted this at this mm. meme it's you know that you can't milk it forever yeah and yeah so that, that's kind of the general vibe i get from the movie mm-hmm. and it's definitely it's got like um maybe not possibly a-listers you've got tom lister jr um yeah. who's been in he was in the dark knight um on the, the right. boat scene in the dark knight you've got eric roberts who i think's in the dark knight as well yes he um, is yeah. he's not falcone <laughs> he is Oh, oh you got me you. there. 
it's going to really annoy me. In fact, you know what? I'll look it up for you. Aye. Uh, he's the one that's under Phil Conan. I cannot remember his name. Maroney. That's it. That's it. Yeah, you got it. Aye. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, that just seems to have taken quite a... Almost from it's it's complete well for me anyway sort of complete unknowns in the first two and then yeah. these recognisable faces turn up and I know Alec Baldwin's quite a big advocate of Tom Six yeah. <laughs> he seems to love <laughs> what he's done with Human Centipede which is quite a strange crossover maybe you'll get that I was one day not expecting that um that that, that advocate um in, in for Tom Six really mm. and it's uh, <laughs> um, it's. It was certainly the least, I think the least interesting part of them, apart from maybe, I know you were talking about this was part of his original plan Yeah. Uh, for a short movie. What do you think he's saying in this about the kind of mm. judicial system and incarceration system, probably worldwide, but obviously this is kind of mm. more focused on the States. Is he, Because if he's saying at the time of the short movie that that was mm. the, the kind of best punish for a punishment, sorry, um, mm for a paedophile yeah this feels like it's maybe looking at more critically than that yeah. kind of basic sense y- of it you're right yeah for sure i think you're quite you're 100 correct there i think that the original idea of just one person receiving that punishment has almost like been uh like mutated into like this m- incredibly long chain of people being conjoined so here the potential for the de- the de- um the deterrent the, the initial like effectiveness of the deterrent has actually been exploited. And mm-hmm. now we've got this like crazed situation where there's almost like an immeasurably long chain of people that are just like almost in a very Kafka-esque way getting stuck together. Yeah. And there's just more and more people added to the chain. Um it, it almost becomes like, do you even remember who's there? I mean, how do you even, how do, how on earth do you manage that? Mm. There's just too many people in that sequence. You you can't actually know um, objectively anymore wh- how to manage that. So mm. it becomes this, actually it becomes this um, like a nightmare scenario yeah. where um it will no longer even serve as a deterrent. Now you've got a human rights crisis on your hand, you know, yeah. like you're actually committing like a violation. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's a crime against humanity. So mm-hmm. it's this weird perversion where the, the, the plausibly effective deterrent actually becomes a crime. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that if we follow the logic of uh, really what the human centipede is, which I, I maintain is, uh, the erasure of autonomy, the, the the creation of a monolith in the culture where everyone is consuming the same thing. Yeah. If we apply that same ideological logic to the third sequence, ultimately the critical message about you know the justice or carceral system is that um, the people going into these prisons are actually not getting rehabilitated. They are not going to like. It's not, it's not like justice is actually not being served at all. They're like just being experimented on. Mm -hmm. And now it's being used as some kind of like profit motive as well. Yeah. Um, Like some kind of like Ponzi scheme or pyramid scheme where it's, you know, the the cultural system is almost like um, an engine of profit. Mm -hmm. And so it's more lucrative to have more people in 
and participating in this like perverse experiment. So it is like just that crossover from initial effectiveness to punish a crime into this hugely overblown uh, violation of human rights. And mm-hmm. I think that at the center of it is this enforcement of everyone consuming the same message and not being critical, which is now like expanded just beyond even the first sequence. It was three people, the second 12. Now, now it's just countless people. Yeah. It's just ad infinitum. Just keep adding people to the end, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And, and poor Daisy in the middle of it. <laughs> right. The most, yeah. the most put upon character. Even yes. in all three of these movies, I think. She's For just sure. treated horribly throughout, and then they're just walking past and find out she's accidentally been put into the centre. Exactly. Um, it's just thought it was, it was <laughs> such a kind of a bit of a kind of a heartbreaking moment. You've seen how terribly she's been treated, and she's been yeah. beaten by the inmates, and then and he's just like, "Oh, it's to see if there's um, what does he say, uh, gender compatibility?" I think yeah. he says, doesn't he? Oh my god! But he's acting like he's obviously it's the same <laughs> actor in Data Eliza. He's acting as if he wants to be Dr. Heiter from the first. He's saying, well, this is the reason for this. This is me explaining it to you now, why this needs to happen. And then he shows his own creation, which is the human caterpillar. Oh my God. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) This is for people who are in here for life. Exactly. Oh my God. I mean, that just is, there's no, even there, there's no, They've just been left there. Obviously, I mean, they're probably dead anyway, but if we're going into the kind of yeah. realms of the, the movie, they would just have to just lie there because you'd have to pick them up all the time. It would be... Yeah, yeah. It, it would be completely implausible. Yeah. But then again, that is commodified. Mm-hmm. E- even the kind of inadequacy of, of the centipede and its abject failure yeah. becomes a, a money-making scam. Yeah. And and I think that ultimately this is also a warning from Tom Six that a perverse idea from the mind of a madman then applied, whether practically or delusionally by a psychopath, can mm. th- the next sequence after that and the final one is the rather banal administration of the idea in a bureaucracy. Yeah. It's like it's like the philosopher Hannah Arendt when she when she criticized the what the Nazis did. She actually referred to it as the banality of evil. Yeah. In the, in the sense that like ordinary German people were committing war crimes and like crimes against humanity but in ways that they would have never imagined. They not all of them were shooting people, not all of them were imprisoning people. Mm-hmm. Some some people were just like reading out a list. Some people were just checking train schedules, but they were all part of a system that facilitated war crime and genocide. And so he, she said that more often than not, it wasn't even psychopaths, full-on psychopaths doing this. It was just ordinary people who were following the rules and they said they were just doing their job. Mm-hmm. That's what facilitated and enabled genocide. So in the third one, I think the banality of evil is really like what is at the front and center. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the roles in, in that prison all the people working together to like <laughs> facilitate this insane situation. Yeah. Um, they all have their part to play. And it is <clears throat> at this level is the bureaucratization and the banal administration of the original crazed idea. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly kind of how it gets left. It's with the, the <laughs> governor comes back and he is like the Congress are going to shit their pants over this because of how much money we are going to save. And yeah. because they seen the, the one, 
inmate who has decided that it was good for him and he's never going to do anything again because it was at the end of his sentence. Um, like when you're saying, but with the Nazis just obeying orders, if a governor manages to pass through a law in Congress, then the guards are going to do what they're told, the prison wardens are going to do what they're told, passing it down, and it's just going to be that continuous cycle until something would eventually get done about yeah. it. Because if it com- <laughs> becomes normal, when people right, it becomes normal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's exactly. that's a crazy way to end on. And these these films always end kind of like um, almost like hopeless, a sense yeah. of hopelessness. Like the first one is um, the middle part of the centipede is both parts are dead. The doctor's mm-hmm. dead, the cops are dead, and she's just kind of stuck there. And then mm-hmm. part two is Martin walks away with a centipede, maybe eating his intestines, um, and everyone's dead. <laughs> and then this one ends with the five hundred person centipede and it's about to get passed as a law and as a form of punishment Um, (laughs) yeah it becomes normalized yeah it becomes normalized and it's just that hopelessness i think is is certainly something that that feels at the end of these movies feels quite um quite apt especially at the end of this third one yeah i agree and i think that ultimately it also like cements the original um philosophical point that um if you are in a group think if you are if you find yourself caught up in a monolith of perspectives yeah that you're not allowed to have a different way to to consume and digest information you you're forced you're enforced into this like chain of digestion mm. then you are a prisoner you are a mental prisoner like mm. so in a way the final one being set in a prison is ideologically like impeccable Mm-hmm. Because it's really kind of making the point that, um, you know, you you literally have no freedom. Like, you have no agency, no autonomy. You are dictated to. Mm-hmm. And you're also, like, you, you also weirdly, like, in a very gaslighty way, also are expected to, like, willingly participate and then told that this is your rehabilitation. It's yeah. so th- th- warped. And so for that reason, I think it's actually really fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of perfect way to end talking about the Human Centipede trilogy. Um, I will be honest, I, I don't think I'm, <laughs> maybe the first one, but I, I, just I don't think I could bring myself to the other two, just especially the second one. There's some yeah. bits we've not even spoke about from I know. Uh, the second sequence. Um, it's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah, it's yeah. not an easy watch, definitely. No, no, no not at all. Um, <laughs> at least it was 90 minutes. I'll give it that. Yeah. Right? At least it wasn't like two hours. Yeah. Um, so with Tom Six, then, yeah. are you looking forward to what he's going to be doing next? Obviously, we've had to push for, or he's certainly been pushing mm. for the Anania Club to to get a, a release. Um, yeah. I don't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening anytime soon. No, it's been stuck in this like limbo mm-hmm. um, pre-distribution situation for years now. I remember anticipating this movie like back in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's ridiculous that it's taking this long. Um, I, don't know if it's ever going to get released. I hope that he'll just crowdfund a release mm-hmm. and just distribute it independently. I think for him, it's it's a matter of principle because he's been partnered with IFC for a very long time. Yeah. And he's made them a lot of money. He's given them a lot of notoriety. So he's 
maybe understandably quite stubborn about it and he's sticking to his guns and he's insisting that they distribute the Onania Club as agreed, Mm -hmm. he was told by the company that maybe, like this is insane. He was told that maybe before the Me Too movement, they would have just about like, it would have just about passed their censors. Mm -hmm. But he was given the the response that um, the market has changed post Me Too and it is not a good time to be uh, making movies about female perpetrators. Right. Which I think is a horrifically sexist thing to say Mm -hmm. because in a horror movie, um, you know, there's no gender that is immune to committing atrocities. No. Um, You know, gender doesn't establish morality or good human characteristics. You can Mm -hmm. have psychopaths of any gender. So this message that because the Onanya Club is an exclusively like all-female cast, and for anyone who's seen the trailer, it's very clear what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's like a torture porn club. Yeah. And they literally get aroused by horrific scenes of torture Mm -hmm. and and like human depravity. Yeah. Um, so in a way they're like Martin, but they're much like more elegant and chic, you yeah. know? Um, <laughs> they're kind of doing <laughs> the same more. thing as, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit more, you know, just a tad. <laughs> yeah. Looks like they wash at least. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're just voyeurs. Exactly. <laughs> they're only voyeurs They're Yeah. But you know what I mean? So this idea that his film is not getting l- released purely on the basis that it's women being shown to do this mm-hmm. and that, you know, we have to portray women as being like strong women who are like empowered. I'm a woman and I find that offensive, mm-hmm. you know, um, if anything, they should be praising Tom Six for having an all female cast. Th- this film is passing the Bechdel test technically, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't understand what gender even has to do with this. I mean, in a way, Tom Six is very clever because what he's doing there is he's playing with the stereotypes we have about women, that women are only nurturing, women are only maternal, that women are exclusively good and pure and angels. He's like messing around with that archetype and telling us actually like women are human beings and some women, maybe a very few, you know, small percentage, but there are also psychopaths who happen to be women. Mm -hmm. And this is the idea that apparently now is too obscene and taboo. And for me, that precisely because it's taboo, it should be the business of horror to talk about it. Yeah. Because horror is supposed to be poking around at those things that disturb us. Mm-hmm. So I think that IFC is making a huge mistake culturally not to back Tom Six. He's already had he has a good track record. Um, in terms of you know his fan base, and he has a huge impact. He's a divisive creator, and that should be a celebrated thing. Cinema needs the spirit of Tom Six being a provocateur mm. and like a bit of a trickster. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I can, <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. I've actually, I've seen the trailer for Anania Club, and I've read yeah. the synopsis, and it was strange because I googled it, um, seeing if there was any kind of update just today, and. The first one of the first things that came up was a review from Kim Newman. So there has obviously been right. 
um, kind of pre-screenings and things like that, and then they've just went, nope, that's plenty, yeah. no more. It's, it's a very strange situation very to be weird. in. Yeah. I don't know, maybe we'll get a, a double-disc feature of the Anania Club and Batgirl one year after that's happened <laughs> the past 24 hours, which will maybe date this episode a wee bit. A bit, a bit interesting double feature. But, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> It'll be the first 18 slash 12 I think there's ever been. <laughs> You never know. But yeah, I um, actually managed to bring it up in a discussion mm-hmm. about children and men last week, which I was yeah. quite proud of myself in having a, a bit of, can, maybe not extreme horror, but provocative horror knowledge mm. when I was discussing um, the, the, the Alfonso Cuaron, children and men, last week. So I brought up the oh, Anania yeah. Club, so I'm doing my bit. I'm pushing it. Nice. <laughs> it was nice. in a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> It'll probably get cut because it was very political and quite um, rude. But anyway, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> yeah. um, so, Mary, thanks very much for joining me. Um, what have you got coming up and where can everyone find you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on as a guest. It's been a really interesting chat. I've really mm-hmm. liked talking to you. Um, yeah, so my next big uh, project uh, in terms of the courses that I teach, the next one will be uh, hopefully relevant to your audience. I'll be teaching a course on women in horror films for the Freud Museum London. I, I believe it'll be online again, so if people can attend uh, irrespective of their location. Great. And um, apart from that, I'm, I have... A Patreon where I create exclusive shows on cinema and psychoanalysis, and you can find me on Patreon.com/slash Mary Wild, and um, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Psychstar. P S Y C S T A R. Excellent, Mary Wild. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That was Mary Wild there, and thanks to Mary again for joining us. Um, full disclosure: I forgot to ask her song to play out on so I sent her a message and we decided on something from Black Swan, she told me I could just have a a pick myself so I've decided to pick the piece of music from the sort of finale of Black Swan where Nina is performing the dance Um, and this is Perfection from the Black Swan soundtrack (laughs) 